Hello and welcome to The Movie Brew, a podcast about British film and filmmakers. Today's episode, we're doing uh, something we've been playing with the idea with recently, a Hollywood spotlight where we take a new release, a new film, and we just kind of uh, shed our light, shed our thoughts on it. And seeing as we did The Shining last week, we mm-hmm. thought it'd be a good idea to do Doctor Sleep, the sequel for it this week. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Lester Garland, how you doing, my friend? Hello, I'm very good. Thank you. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. I've turned up. Uh, um, we're here. Um, so yeah, man. Dog sleep. Dog to sleep. I uh, should preface this for people, listeners that may have not listened to our last episode on The Shining. Mm. I am coming to this from a newbie. Yeah, you're wet behind the ears. I am. I just saw The Shining for the first time a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. When we did it for the podcast a week ago, a week ago, yeah. Um, and we went to see it at the cinema, and it was a, an amazing experience to see that on the big screen. Yeah. And then directly after that, I've come in, literally skipped the forty odd years it's taken to make this movie, <laughs> and then just gone straight to the sequel. Um, so yeah, should we sum? Should we sum this up? Yeah. So, uh, Doctor Sleep uh, features Ewan McGregor as a grown-up Danny Torrance. Yeah. Uh, it's also got Rebecca Ferguson as Rose the Hat, who is the antagonist. Yeah. And uh, Kylie Curran as Abra Stone, who is another main character that we'll get into later. Yeah. Um, it sort of follows Danny's life after the events of the Overlook Hotel. He's struggling with alcoholism and past traumas, and he's kind of suppressing his shining ability. Um, he's locked all his his basically he's locked all his figurative and literal demons in boxes in his mind, and then he's trying to live a normal life, and he's kind of picking his life up, and then he uh, uh, Abra Stone, uh, a girl who also has incredible shining abilities like stronger than danny's yeah gets in contact with him and he kind of gets like pulled into this world featuring uh, a gang called the true knot mm-hmm. who are basically shining vampires and they like feed on kids with the shining and they like suck up their essence this kind of they cult. call it the steam yeah um and you know kids who are more powerful with the shining they get more sustenance out of it and it keeps them living for like hundreds and hundreds of years um and danny and abra team up to stop the leader of that rose the hat uh so with that i'm just gonna put in a little clip mm. uh so the listeners gonna just listen to the clip this is a clip of uh abra confronting uh danny uh for the first time after the first time they meet she's like hunting uh she's like found him basically and they have a conversation uh for the first time about the shining you're magic like me I don't know about magic. I I always called it the shining. And yeah, we both shine. Do your parents know? About my shine? They don't talk about it. Or if I use it, they look at me different. When I was a kid, I didn't understand the shining. I called it Tony. I thought he was my imaginary friend. I thought you were my imaginary friend. For a long time. How many of us are out there? a lot of people have a little bit of shine they don't even know it they always seem to come home with flowers when their wives are sad or they do well in a school test they didn't study for but i only met two or three people in my whole life who knew they shined well yeah i wanted to mention just before we kind of go any further Mm -hmm. uh this is introducing 
Uh, would, could, would you say the actress's name again? Kylie Curran. Uh, Kylie, Kylie uh, K- sorry, K- no, Kylie Curran. Kylie Curran. That was Kylie it, yeah. Curran. Uh, introducing her. This is a, a second a film that she's ever done. Oh, what was she in before this? And uh, her first. We've got drivers and updates. Um, I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> drivers updates are happening all over this episode. Um, yeah, the this is her first ever. A first ever kind of major film role performance. She was in mm-hmm. one other independent film, okay. uh, which I just saw pop up on IMDb. Right. But this is her first kind of big Hollywood production. She does a great job. Yeah, uh, really absolutely. Good. Incredible job considering the rest of the cast that she's performing with. It's, 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 an, it's an amazing and uh, it's a big role and big shoes to fill to come off, not just after a film that is such a classic after The Shining, but to share the screen with like actors like Rebecca Ferguson, who's like one of my favorite actors working today and you McGregor and stuff like that. It's, it's incredible. And she, she can, she can embody this kind of person with power and even become some of the scarier aspects in the film. at certain yeah. scenes. I mean, for a 13 year old, she yeah. does a great job of um, holding her own against stars like Rebecca Ferguson and, you know, Ewan McGregor, who usually has the higher ground. Yeah, as always, <laughs> as we've known from the Star Wars prequels. Man, I love Ewan it's McGregor. So <laughs> I have the high ground. I just had to do it. You, you got to do it. But I just, I'm so glad he's doing other stuff. Yeah, it's nice to see him again. Oh man, it's so great to see him again. I was holding out for an Obi Wan Kenobi like a solo film. Yeah. Um, no pun intended, but I just really. I, I'm, I'm when that when that got cancelled, I was like, oh, that's a shame. And I'm really glad that he's like doing other stuff because it's great to see him on screen again. I haven't seen him for a while. Yeah, and he's great. Yeah, he's good at what he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, shall we jump into the review? Let's do it, man. I'm um, I'm ready to. This this is the bit where I guess him. He guesses him. <laughs> um. I just want to preface this with uh, there's going to be spoilers throughout this whole podcast. Um. Yeah. Just so. Just so you're aware, if you Both haven't seen it yet and you don't want it spoiled. For Doctor Sleep and also The Shining, because well, yeah, I think we yeah. should probably preface that, that if you haven't seen The Shining, we're probably going to be casually referencing to spoilers of that. Although I, I would argue there's not really any spoilers in The Shining, because that, but I'll get to that later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, all right. So this is the part where I read out some reviews that I find on IMDb. Wonderful. And I get Tarek to guess how many stars out of 10 they gave it um usually i'll find ones that are like well balanced and i also find some ones that are ridiculous that we can have a laugh at by well balanced you mean ones of people that like the film and ones that absolutely hated the film yeah. like so we have both ends of the spectrum <laughs> um this film i i mean i could i could have easily found some ridiculous things but they weren't saying anything that's worth talking about right about the film so i've more gone for things where you can agree and disagree with parts of what they're saying okay. on most of these. Cool, cool, cool. Um, okay, so first one is by Odette Ondeur. Yeah. Um, and the title is It Is Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just like, it really drags you in that title, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's true. Uh, and they say, while not being all that scary, Doctor Sleep is still a fun ride with some little twists. The movie is well shot and well acted and has some fun ideas, but not close but yeah, but not close as good as The Shining. The movie is also a bit though long and the villain isn't all that scary. If you liked The Shining, go check it out. Okay. <laughs> the bit I agree with of that statement is if you like The Shining, go check it out. 
<laughs> the, the last yeah. line. I, I, I can see, I can see why you selected though. It is okay. I feel like that falls into your, your preferences on the film a bit more. Feel, well, um, I don't completely agree with this. Yeah. Um, I agree that Dr. Sleep is not scary at all. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, when I said that to you, you said, well, the shining isn't really scary. But I, think, I I did want to kind of talk about that a little bit. I think there's more there's a cerebral dread to The Shining that isn't in this film. Yeah, I I that's wanna... what I mean when I say scary. Yeah, okay, context. all right. Well, um, there's a uh, there's a video that came on when we were talking when I was kind of researching The Shining that was talking about what is creepiness, and it was kind of talking about um, the aspect of the shining and stuff and it was describing creepiness as it was referencing this journal this kind of research paper that was talking about creepiness is the factor of which when we when our brain can't relate to something or can't associate it to anything and doesn't have a response for it it's registers that as unsettling or creepy so the thing with the shining is that so much of it is ambiguous um, ambiguous or something or like for like the concept of masks right you can't read someone's face yeah or understand what they're really thinking or see behind what they're saying and so for that so much of that is creepy similarly to like in the shining that cre- ambiguousness and creepiness is the whole point of the way that S- stanley kubrick not only direct not only directs but it's like it, the ethos of the film is ambiguousness yeah i mean that's the whole point why he rewrote it basically it kind of and was kind of like didn't follow a script and was just yeah. kind of writing it as they were shooting it on set but i think that with this it's meant to be a bridge between the kubrick version and the elements of the stephen king version i told you when we initially watched the time that i didn't find it creepy uh, I know I found it. I found it very creepy and very dreadful, but I didn't find it scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd agree with that. And I and I feel that sense of dread is definitely there. And the reason for that is because they show you, they t- tell you what the whole film's about in the first five like fifteen minutes. Yeah, of course. When he's having the interview, and the the whole dread is watching these things unfold, and knowing mm-hmm. what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. The shine, the um, Doctor Sleep is not like that. No. it's a it's a it's a bridge between the other two things and it's meant to tie in with the, some of the more fantastical elements of the stephen king books and stuff saying that i think what this film does and the way that it's kind of made it is actually something to be respected and done really well because it's not trying to be kubrick it's not trying to be overly ambiguous for no reason and there's a version yeah. of this film where someone would just try and do kubrick and fail like mm-hmm. It's it's not trying to be ambiguous, but similarly, it's doing something differently that we haven't really seen in this verse before. Um, it focuses a lot more on the antagonist, the villain, and really fleshes that out more than most films I've seen this year. Kind of a lot of the time and screen time is given to the antagonist of Rose's hat. So understanding what her motives are, why she's doing yeah. what she's doing, how she's um, understanding this whole thing. Um, but it's not, you know, it's, it, 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 there are scary moments watching it for me. Uh, I found unsettling, but similarly to the, the shining, it was more of a thrill dready kind of sense. Um, but it was more, what Mike Flanagan does is it's always more character based and that's what he mm-hmm. focuses more on in this film. Those are the parts of the film that I enjoyed the most. 
yeah. in this. When it was more doing um, just l- like looking into the character, letting them develop it uh, yeah. at a sort of organic pace. Um, that's, I mean, we'll get into it later, but those are the bits where I was really enjoying it. Nearer the end of the film, when it started to ramp up on the action, it's kind of lost me a bit. Fair enough. There are, you know? I've heard complaints that there's like a scene in particular that is more uh, is action-y than anything else, and it's kind of it lost a lot of people. I, I still very much enjoyed it. I kind of, yeah, I just kind of wanted to let that out. Yeah. At, for, at, at the head, saying that, you know, like, fair enough if it's not a, a cup of tea i imagine a lot of like diehard kubrick fans um would not be pleased with this film uh yeah, and probably. some uh and it might lean more to like the stephen king fans of it because it leans more heavily into that stuff well see that's also what i find troubling about this film not troubling just odd is you're saying like it'll probably piss off diehard kubrick fans and then lean more towards the Stephen King fans. But I think it would probably piss off the Stephen King fans as well, like the diehard ones. I think it's like running in the middle of those. Well, that's what I mean when I say it's like a bridge between those yeah. two worlds. Um, but I think, you know, I, I think it did. I think it did so well. I think we disagree on uh, how... I think we're going to have some debates. I think we're going to have some debates on this one. Uh, but going back to the review, yeah, I reckon this guy gave it one star. Really? two stars it is okay you think that's one or two stars? i just i just i'm in the habit of always going for two stars they recommended you should check it out at the end they did recommend i should check it out for it okay it's not one star <laughs> it's three stars it's six stars that's a lie six out of ten that's ten. yeah no, no it doesn't make any sense it doesn't make sense <laughs> i've got another one like that as well so be prepared <sighs> all right i'm ready um okay next one is by tony alexander one two five okay uh, oh, they saw it the same day we saw it. How awesome. about that? Um, they say, too many things going on. Mm-hmm. With no actual clear hero goal and absolutely too much power bestowed upon the young prodigy, this film for what is two and a half hours is too confusing. <laughs> there is also a sense that a superhero movie has been wedged in there with people running around using their shining as a source to harm. Disappointing and lacks any tension as felt in The Shining. How do you feel about that? Uh, thoroughly disagree. Yeah. But I've got a lot of stuff that I want to say about this that I don't want to tag on to like reviews. Yeah. I want to just, I want to get into it. So I, I thoroughly disagree with this person's take on it. Yeah. What are your thoughts on it? Um, bit of both agree yeah. and disagree. I do think the protagonists goals, both of them mm-hmm. are a bit muddy, a bit murky. Yeah. Um, I, and also when I was watching it, there were some sort of more action parts where I felt like I was watching some sort of X-Men movie, mm. which I wasn't that keen on. Right. Um, you know, just like it, it's the, it had a, a bit, it didn't have a lot of it. It did it quite well, but it did have a bit of the kind of classic, you know, people using psychic powers. They're like holding their hands out in front of them and looking like they're concentrating on something and then some CGI is happening. It did a bit of that, and I was like, mm, "Okay." Look, we'll we'll get into it. We'll get into it. We'll get into, we'll get into, into it. it. Um, as for this guy, I'm gonna say he gave it two stars, four stars. This doesn't make any sense. It's upside down world. This today. is upside down world. We're in we're in the upside down. Okay, you're zero for two. Are you ready yep. for the last one? Yeah, can't wait, mate. Okay, this one. <laughs> <laughs> this one is from Niall R. Ward. Uh, title is a story in itself. Yep. 
I was so looking forward to this, but expected to be disappointed, but I certainly wasn't. That sentence has two twists in it. (laughs) (laughs) Let me just read that again. Pay attention to the buts. Okay. I was so looking forward to this, but expected to be disappointed, but I certainly wasn't. A roller coaster. (laughs) Too many. Yeah, there's so many contradictions. Um, It's a great story in itself, but but you would need to understand The Shining to really get it. Mm. I loved it. I really did. And all it missed was a Jack Nicholson cameo role to make it a complete yes. So we had a conversation about this we did. before the podcast mm-hmm. where there is a cameo of Jack Torrance, the character. Yeah, but it's like a lookalike. Yeah, there are many there are many there are many recastings in this film. Yeah, yeah. Um, Understandable. For for some in a, for some of the uh some of the roles. Um which I thought was very done very well and was very tasteful in some scenes. Mm-hmm. You disagreed specifically with the Jack Torrance uh, yeah, recasting. Yeah, I, I didn't like the Jack Torrance one. I liked the Wendy Torrance one. I thought she did a really good job of kind of uh, imitating what Shelley Duvall did with the role. Yes. I think she did really well. Extremely well. Um, I also liked the kid that played young Danny Torrance. Yeah, he was great. He did really good as well. Yeah. Um, Just the, the, the Jack Torrance one just threw me out again. I, I keep getting, when, when we were watching it, I kept getting like really involved in this film and really sucked in. And mm-hmm. then just something would happen that would just throw me out of it. See, for me, I felt like if that cameo, because we were having a discussion about this before we started, and you, I asked you, how would you feel if that character was played by Jack Nicholson today as a cameo of him in this film? And I said that if, I said that I felt if he was cameoed in his role, that would just instantly take me out of the film. I yeah. wouldn't be looking, I wouldn't be looking at Jack Torrance, I'd be looking at Jack Nicholson. I think what I would have done, given the setting of, of that scene that we'll almost definitely talk about later, I would have just had it shot from so you only see the back of Jack's head. Yeah. So you know who it is because he's got a very distinctive haircut and everything. Um, but you don't have to kind of throw us out of it by showing a different face. See, I would argue that there is a certain build up to that where they don't show the face straight away. Yeah, I think they should just keep not showing the and face. They, and I didn't think they were going to. And when they did, and we saw a bit more of this person's uh kind of take on on the role he is you know he he is doing you know he does look a little bit like uh jack torrance in the shining and jack nicholson's uh portrayal at that time but he also he i also felt like he captured a little bit of the essence of that character oh definitely um it just kind of gets a bit uncanny valley yeah you know what i mean Mm. agree Um, to disagree there's gonna be a lot of that oh yeah i think the actor did a good job um i just don't think it was necessary Fair enough. Really? Cool. Uh, as for this review, I think he gave it a... Read me the last line of the review again. Um, I loved it. I really did. And all it missed was a Jack Nicholson cameo role to make it a complete yes. Eight out of ten stars. Okay, so given that this guy said he's really liked it and it was only lacking one thing for him, yeah, eight out of ten stars is a good guess but he gave it 10 out of 10. And I don't know how you can give it 10 out of 10, but also say that there's something that he yeah. wanted from it still. That's mad. That doesn't make any sense. That's mad. That's, that's, sometimes I just think you put these in there oh, just to trick me. Of course I do. He um, was like, oh, this movie was lacking one thing that I would have loved to make it 100%. I'm giving it 100%. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> 
So going forward, <laughs> as you mentioned earlier, as I, as Lester mentioned earlier, we're gonna we're gonna jump straight into the kind of spoilery stuff with yeah. this discussion. There's a lot of stuff we really want to get into and we want want to talk about. So if you haven't seen the film, feel free to kind of like pause it, or uh, you might have paused it earlier and just kind of yeah, go see it, check it out, and then come back to come back to us yeah. and listen to this podcast. I definitely recommend seeing it in the cinema. Um, should, well, should, before we kind of just talk about it then right here straight out of the gate at the, tw- at the 14 minute mark or what, yeah. whatever we're at uh, do you want to just give our scores should we just give um, our scores I, yeah I might give a preliminary score and then after we have a discussion that might change somewhat yes just because think, I'm not sure how I feel about this film I think that's a fair point but I think we we should be able to kind of recommend it to people yeah um, for it I'm pretty sure I gave uh, The Shining a black tea I think you did. Which is our highest rating. Yeah. I don't think this film is as good as The Shining. I think it's I think it stands up to it. Mm-hmm. Which is which is a f- a feat in itself considering how much of a classic that film is. How influential in it is. I mean just watching it I was I was testing my friend and I was saying to uh him as Mark and saying to him like how much I saw all of the influences of all the films, horror films that I love, just watching that for the first time. I was like, I see where all, all of this connects and where all of these are from. Yeah. Um, so that was that was really cool. Um, so I'm going to give this, I think the fact that it stands, stands on its own as as up with that, as a, a sequel to The Shining, is That's, an amazing thing. Yeah, it's quite a feat in itself. Really. It's quite a feat in itself, and I'm going to give it an L Grey. Thank you, L Grey. Very cool. That's an 8.52. Yeah. Second highest rating. That's as much... That's. I, it's one of my favorite films that I've seen this year. And I'm going to talk more about it in a bit. Very good. Um, okay, so I think for me, um, as I said, this might change later when we have a good old talk about it. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, when when we left the cinema, you sort of asked me, what did I think? And I was like, I don't know. Yeah. I just don't know. Um, I really, I really, really liked some bits. And then I just got thrown out of the movie at other bits. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, it's definitely worth seeing at the cinema because the shots on it on a big screen look amazing. Yeah. Um, especially like the very first opening shot, it just like dives like a bird's eye view diving down some trees into yeah. the house. It just, there's things like that. That's great. And it just pulls you into the world, but then it also kicks you out later on. Um, <laughs> so preliminary score. Yeah. Possibly change. Uh, I'm going to give it a green tea. Okay. Uh, 5.68. Good standard tea. You can drink it anytime. All right. That's a that's a that considering the subtitle to that score, I can understand why you would give it that. Yeah, that's a fair point. So those are our reviews. If you haven't seen it, we're now going to go into the spoiler section because I got a lot of stuff to say. It's happening, happening. Um. All right. So the first thing that I want to say, and and like not kind of jumping straight into like all the big spoilers and stuff that happen, but the first thing I want to say is that this is a film that it meanders a lot. It is not for. It is yeah. not. For, it is not made for the consumption of people that go to the cinema to see um, kind of your standard kind of big budget explosion sort of film or whatever. No, no, no. That it's, it, it's for, it's for the fans. It's, it is made, it is made for the fans uh, and both of Stephen King and uh, also the, the Kubrick fans as well. I, I think the, what it does is is so it's so interesting is that it meanders a lot. It's for, it's forty five minutes before we even see any kind of like in writing terms an inciting mm. incident where the um, characters are thrust into a situation where they have to kind of um, 
in Save the Cat, they call it like the the refusal to the call where someone just yeah. kind of comes up and kind of comes with a quest or a thing, a task that needs to be done. And the main protagonist just kind of says, um, you got the wrong guy. Yeah, yeah, I can't do this right now. That's like 45 or 30 minutes into the thing, uh, into like into yeah. the film before we even see that. There's a whole act of this movie that is not to do with that. And what Mike Flanagan does, which is one of my favorite things that he does as a filmmaker, does a bunch of it in A Haunting of Hill House, is that he takes that time to just really understand and get to know the characters. Yeah. And understand their flaws and what has made all of these characters kind of um, what's happened in between the end of The Shining and now. Um, There's some flashback sequences with Danny as a kid. But mainly we spend our time during this point going through um, Danny's uh, kind of drink, uh, drink, drinking issues mm-hmm. and his um, alcoholism and his abuse and kind of, um, yeah, his, uh, his, his, his abuse of alcohol and stuff and just seeing his uh, problems externalized like that feeding into kind of the my premise, my thesis that I kind of put forward when we talked about the shining was like history repeating himself. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of, kind of, um, become the thing in avoiding his, uh, past trying to get over his trauma and stuff. He's just kind of drowning himself in drink and he's extremely flawed at the start. And the journey that he, like the journey that he goes through to get, uh, to get, to become, uh, or to get to the third act, I think is I think is just phenomenal to the point where some of the tensest moments watching the film weren't necessarily scary for me, but they yeah. were conversations or they were moments where Hugh McGregor was looking at a bottle or a drink and going to take a sip, and I was and I was in my seat thinking, don't, yeah, yeah, because yeah. you're so in there with his alcoholism and you're understanding where this character comes from. And that when this whole world comes back and he has to revisit it, you understand that he just wants to leave that behind. That's not where he wants to be. It's not like, it's not like saying no for the fact of saying no. It's Mm. like that there's, there's a whole, um, there's a whole aspect to it, an underlying kind of, um, layer that I think is, that I think is really important. I think that's what Mike Flanagan does really well is just understanding characters in a film that in a kind of video that we watched before we did this podcast, he talked about, horror uh stephen king mentioned he he said in the interview that horror was like one of the strings on a guitar so Mm. it's kind of like he didn't like that people just reference things as just horror mike flanagan said because um it's like one layer of the story it's a reflection that we can kind of look into to kind of assess different things and i think that's what the shining does really well talks about the family as a psyche and the breakdown of this family and what this does is it kind of analyze that analyzes that in um yeah in the same ways with alcoholism but also recovery and it ends on a hopeful note which i think is really important does it end on a hopeful note i feel like it does okay we'll talk um, about that later yeah um yeah the the meandering parts of the film surprisingly are my favorite parts yeah that's that's what i i wanted i just wanted more of that really yeah. um cuz I found, yeah, the whole thing of, you know, there's there's uh, a part where he basically neglects to see if this woman's OD'd that he's had a one night stand. The culmination with. of his alcoholism, basically, yeah, the breaking point of, yeah, of it's him. it's like his rock bottom, yeah, 
Um, and basically, it, it basically ends in this woman dying, and uh, he leaves her baby there and just doesn't want anything to do with it. And it's assumed that he's basically just left both of his mother and child to die. Yeah, well, which is sort of later confirmed in yeah. the film as well. Um, and then it goes through. He moves town. He tries to start a new life. He does that fairly successfully. He then gets a job working in an elderly person's hospice. Um, and he starts using his shining powers to comfort um, people who are on their deathbed. And it's incredibly touching. Um, and it's like, it's the, the best part of the movie for me. And that's actually where he he gets the name Dr. Sleep because all the elderly people refer to him as Dr. Sleep because he helps them go to sleep. Um, but then by the third act, that it doesn't seem to be playing to that afterwards. I feel like the film kind of forgets about that stuff. And I think that's those are the strongest moments of the film for me. I was like loving it. And then uh, it got to like, you know, the, the whole kind of showdown thing at the end. And it's kind of like he didn't, none of the character development that he gained in scenes like the hospice and his rock bottom and going to AA, none of that was uh, utilized in him at the showdown at the end. I'm so glad you brought that up because I really want to talk about the complete opposite about how I felt that all of those moments really played into his character. How? Um, for, uh, for in I one, really didn't see it. In one short sentence is his ability to maintain and create a relationship with Abra. The yeah, but alcohol. that's throughout the whole film. That's not the showdown. No, but the 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 fact of the matter is that his his recovery and the person that he becomes wouldn't be capable to make relationships or of, of even accept that he has this power to do this thing mm -hmm. without all of these little changes that manifest himself no more clearly than when he is uh, kind of forming this relationship with Abra. And their connection with each other really brings out the best in his character, to be honest, in my in my opinion, to to make to get to that kind of final sacrifice as kind of his final act of redemption in my in my uh in my opinion so i suppose what i'm talking about more specifically is for like okay for an example and it's probably going to be a bad example but this is kind of what i'm trying to get at is in the hospice he's helping elderly people uh come to peace with their death and simultaneously to that he's coming he's also so wonderful it's what they did. such a good bit yeah um, but he's also coming to terms with um, the afterlife and he's becoming more comfortable around it whereas you know when he was younger he was obviously tormented by um, ghosts and supernatural stuff from the other side yeah um, it's at this point where he has a turning point and he starts to accept it and he becomes more comfortable with it and his his fear of death kind of lessens yes um, and then in the showdown um, all that's just kind of undone because the demons and ghosts come back and it's it hasn't had any impact on that part. Do you see what I mean? Well, here's my thought of uh, of my kind of take on on what you're specifically kind of using as an example. Is that this whole time he's formed a relationship with the ghost of Dick Halloran mm -hmm. um, to uh, kind of get him through uh, all of these encounters that he had when he was a kid. And they do some kind of really good reshoots uh, of certain scenes in The Shining and also kind of extra scenes of young kind of 
uh, actors of what happened after the events at the Overlook Hotel. Yeah. Where he's taught to kind of use his powers to kind of lock up the ghosts and stuff that you mentioned. Yeah. By by Dick Halloran. By Dick Halloran. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so he's formed this mentorship with this character who's kind of tied their fates together mm-hmm. in a sense. And I, th- I feel like what what happens is that when he's at when he's at the hospice he's quite happy to just live a quiet life and just stay there in in that place becoming dr sleep and just calming these people at their final moments and just kind of um doing a little bit to just help them pass on which one i think is is a is a lovely thing but it's also neglecting some of the things that he has he's actively not using any of his shining abilities to kind of connect with uh, anyone and when this person finds him he's thrust into a situation where he has to uh has to be put in a position to kind of expose himself but he is using his shining abilities in the hospice a little bit but it's it's not to it's not to a point where he's comfortable being out there like a point where i would really say that he's kind of forcing himself to be exposed mm. and vulnerable is um we haven't really talked about this character yet but it's one of my favorite characters in the film with the billy character oh, Billy's so good. um the first person who he encounters when he moves to a new town after his kind of breaking point and it's just billy is just the best person just the nicest man he like hooks him up with a place to stay straight away sees that job. he's struggling yeah. takes him to um sorts him out with sorts him out with a place to stay sorts him out with a job interview takes him to an aa meeting Mm -hmm. um because he's sober as well and he recognizes those abilities and um in someone else it's also kind of lightly lightly implied that he also has a little bit of shine to him as well and kind of gets feelings from certain people and is kind of quite in tune with his uh yeah himself and the vibes that he gets off yeah people. there's a there's he says something like you know he's he he knows people from like a look or something and it's like in the stephen king world the shining is basically like a spectrum yeah and it's it's that kind of thing where like some people have it a little bit some people have it a lot so yeah he's kind of a bit more in tune with it than most people so he gets like a good first impression of someone he's basically never wrong so just essentially. Bef- just before the third act, uh, there is a point after, yeah, um, kind of, Hugh McGregor's been sober for a while. It kind of, there's a break during the film where he's, it cuts to eight years later, where he's mm-hmm. having a, it's one of my favorite scenes where he's doing his talk to get his eight years chip and he's sober, uh, just before he gets thrust back into this world. So just before the final act, he goes and he knocks on to Billy's door and confronts him and goes to tell him the story of what's happened to him, what he can do, and kind of accepting that he has to help this person. Just kind of, I felt like, for me, that was the moment where he's exposing himself to be vulnerable and say, this is, this is who I am. This is, this is, I am accepting that this is who I am and this is what I can do and I need to do this and I need your help to help this other person. In the hospice, he was using his shining abilities to calm, um, to calm and help people as they were passing on. But it could also be seen as hiding, uh, as a as a way yeah, of sure. kind of uh, just doing a little bit to kind of not face what's uh, you know the the true good that he could be doing, which is kind of tying his fate just like Dick Halloran did for for him. Yeah, definitely. I I just think the amount of time that the movie spends on the hospice scenes and how poignant they seem by the way they're shot. And it's like, you're looking at something that's a very important moment. 
there's not enough payoff at the end for it. Are you kind of talking towards the kind of the way the ghosts are treated at the end of this, at the end of the Overlook Hotel? Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah. Rather than the spirits that they talk to of the people there. Yeah. Because I think the the key thing, the key difference there between the spirits that he talks to as as people that have passed on and the Overlook Hotel is that the the hotel itself consumes and is a prison for these people. So they're not really seen as spirits that can uh, really pass on or kind of yeah. have conversations with because they're not the same thing. They're kind of different. Like we were having this conversation with Amanda when we left the screening. No, yeah, I get that. It's just the fact that his fear hasn't subsided of them. Yeah. That's the part I have a problem with. His fear hasn't subsided. Yeah. Because it seems like a lot of the like the first, the first part of the movie and half of the second uh, bit of it he is coming to terms with all of this stuff. And as soon as he gets back to the Overlook Hotel and all that kind of character development just flops away. Well, let's let's take away the literal d- literal meaning of the what happens in the plot and look at it from a metaphorical standpoint. The If we take away the kind of psychic and kind of fantastical elements of it, there's an element of going through trauma where people yeah, will uh, well people will obviously lock away memories and things that are extremely painful to deal with and to, and to kind of just completely repress those memories or those things and going back to that place going back to the overlook hotel and opening all of those boxes going through all of that trauma again i feel like a natural reaction to it would be as terrified as he is in those scenes because he's forcing himself to face his fears that he's never had to think about for almost 30 years and has just repressed himself and just mm. drunk himself to a to a point where he was just numb to everything and didn't have to think about any of it but then forcing himself to go to this bit just so he can look after this kid just like dick halloran did for him i think brings it back to a nice full circle and does that whole um kind of history repeating itself thing that i really yeah i really suppose that there is a certain catharsis to it i don't i i, I don't think it was done well enough mm. in the film that's all um i feel like the real i feel like the reason that i i feel like it, it's the ending is earned uh, is because of the character work that's put in at the start of the film and because of the way that we kind of understand all of these characters motivations and stuff the i mean the the actual ending ending yeah. is definitely earned for sure I just mean like his methods of getting to that bit. Doesn't, it just doesn't fly with me. That's fair with enough. all the development that's put in beforehand, it seems to just be kind of scrubbed off the blackboard and then it's like done with. Um, yeah. I feel like as much as they're my favorite parts of the film, it feels like they don't need to be in there. The hospice scenes you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Which just kind of annoys me. I, I just think, I think that there's such key bits to understanding his character. Like he's trying to do better. Like yeah, no, they are do, until it gets it. to the third scene, and then his character changes, just completely reverts again. Can you talk a bit more about what it is specifically that you think that reverts everything that happens in the hospice at the end? Just the way he approaches his problems in the end. Okay, they go back to how he was dealing with them as Danny, and I get that that's because of trauma coming back up and catharsis and stuff, but it doesn't work with the amount of time put into character development throughout this film right it's so, it seems arbitrary to do that character development what specifically it. was it and the way that he deals uh, with the way that the events happen at the overlook hotel 
there. It's, it's the fact that he reacts the exact same way as he would if we didn't see any of these character development scenes in the first place. By letting himself die, you mean? No, 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 no. Before that, when in like all the... So like, for example, the bit where all the ghosts come out, they... Uh, well, we've already said spoilers, so that's fine. They, yeah. um, they consume Rose the Hat and then they go after him. Yeah. And he acts the exact same way he would if he hadn't had all this character development. Mm-hmm. The bit where he sacrifices himself at the end is great. I love that bit. It's really, really good. The bits just before that just don't they don't they don't gel they just don't gel for the amount of character development that's been put in there okay i'm trying to think about this a a, 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 just kind of understand and understand your point here a bit further uh just before we move on yeah um and just kind of saying so i felt like during that scene that wasn't a decision that danny made it was more of a situation that he was put in so the only decisions that he made was opening the boxes letting out all of the spirits and thinking that you know if if this place is as dangerous as it is to him mm-hmm. it must be even more dangerous for someone who's fed off of shine, people with the shine for so long yeah so naturally uh allowing going to go for her first for, for her first yeah. exactly by that time he's already wounded and he's just the closest thing there i i don't i don't see how when he's there bleeding out on the stairs, a decision that he could have done to change that would be more in tune with the the hospice scenes to how he would, like how not, he would I'm react. I'm not getting to... specific about the hospice scenes. I just mean the point that the hospice scenes contain character development in there. Yeah. And they just, they don't pay off near the end. Do you mean like, do you mean like, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm just trying to, just trying to, I don't, I don't want to pick, pick apart your point here or anything. I just kind of want to understand it a bit better. Because I felt like I, I wasn't I wasn't getting it, but it's like, do you feel like it would have been an Im- an improvement in kind of character development would have been the decision to kind of help these spirits pass on, like when they no, were that left would have out? been that would have been horrible. I I I think maybe I like the ending, but maybe if you're going to have that character development in it, maybe when the ghosts turn on him, he needs to accept death and be at peace with it for that character development in the first place to be worth it. Mm. Yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah, no, I see what you mean. I think at that point it's just about getting Abra safe, but I totally I totally get that. Yeah. It's um, just that that de- character development's in there and it's great and then it doesn't do anything. Yeah. It just annoys me. Fair play. Fair play. Well, moving on from Let's get let's get off of that tangent. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really the other thing I really want to talk to you, we talked a little bit about about, about Billy. Uh Billy's great. We should mention that everyone's favorite actor, Billy. We've talked about before on this podcast. As he, uh, Cliff Curtis, was mm-hmm. on um, The Shining as the man. Sunshine. Cell, uh, I think his name was. He was the guy who fell in love with the sun, Mr. Sun. Yeah, Dr. Uh, sun. Dr. Sun. There he is. Dr. Sunshine. Um, so, yeah, that was, he was great. Great to see there. Yeah, he but was a pretty good character. I really want to talk about Rebecca Ferguson's performance yes. as Rose the Hat. Yeah. I think she's just so captivating and there's so really much good. there's so much kind of more focus on this as with her as an antagonist than than in most films i've seen this year mm-hmm. a lot of the time the villains and antagonists are kind of just we come we come back to them a bit and kind of understand them at the end with like a big speech and stuff there's not there's not that there there is so much more time given yeah to each aspect of uh rose's life with this family uh, and this cult and understanding their struggle, the 
the the aspects of how this family works what they need to do and even the specifics of how they survive uh for a long time so you really understand the sense of community between this family and what what she has to do and when they when she finds someone with so much power um that can kind of keep her and her family alive for so long you really understand her motives for Mm. being such a terrible person you know she like she is terrifying and really captivating but there's also a charm in there that she plays yeah i mean it's essentially she's keeping her family alive at all costs isn't she yeah that's basically it and you know uh there's parts where she comes across people who have a specific shine that will be useful to them and then they kind of recruit them yeah i guess in like a kind of ritual thing and then they join the family as well and you know live for a long long time um they're not immortal but they live for like hundreds of years if they if they enough steam yeah um but yeah her her performance is really really good um there's some great shots like when she is trying to get into the mind of abra yeah and there's that shot where she's it's it's kind of like a shot of her like flying across the world yeah but it's in her head and it's shot in a way where it's like really trippy and ethereal it just looks great i loved it it's my favorite it's one of my favorite shots in the it entire looks song. so good it's like it's, done. it's like to describe it for our listeners uh that haven't seen it and like don't dream-like. care like don't care about spoilers yeah. it's exactly that it made me think of uh it made me it surprisingly made me think of under the skin and some of the cinematography yeah, there yeah there. the kind of just kind of hangs on shots a little longer yeah and a, and etherealness but we yeah. see we also and it also strangely made me think of la la land certain like kind of right. uh, yeah there's yeah. a certain kind of flying scene in that that kind of made me think of as well but there's yeah she's just kind of you're seeing the world kind of vertically and she's just kind of flying but she's side on I mean, it's kind of like she's not moving, but the world is the like world is going around it's her, like scrolling down past yeah. her. Yeah, it's, it's really just good. it's amazing. It's really really cool. Um, there's so there's so many little things like that that mm. I absolutely loved cinematography wise. Like, I just I fucking love the way Mike uh, Mike Flanagan directs. But um, what I really wanted to talk about as well is just the specifics of when she actually finds the rose. Straight after that, in that shot, yeah, we. Uh, kind of find and kind of discuss a little bit more about um, the abilities with people sh- uh, shining to kind of manipulate their minds. Yeah. So the the design of certain people's kind of minds, she's like looking through her minds and stuff with the, the palettes as like folders of secrets and I, stuff. I did want to talk about this actually. Yeah. Um, I really, I really enjoyed that kind of idea and that, that thing to it because I felt like that idea was a great way of utilizing some fan service which they did towards the end of the third act uh but giving it giving it some sort of like reason so rose finds this place she uh goes into the abra's bedroom and she finds a a bunch of file cabinets not realizing that abra has actually let her find her and set a trap yeah and this is the bit where i was talking about where she's kind of one of the scarier elements in the film because she's managed to just sort a face in this really creepy way and yeah, uh, and then she's like got this real weird like wig on that she's made and stuff change the room to make her look like a bunch of filing cabinets so that when rose is looking for secrets and information and stuff she gets caught and then a, like this really gory scene like, happens messes her hand up and it messes her hand up yeah, and stuff <laughs> and she's like talking about how you know it's it, this is so trivial because in my mind you know i've i've seen so much and blah blah, blah that my mind is like a cathedral 
yeah, yeah. and she's like uh, talked about it and stuff. And we see this sort of thing evolve um, a little bit as Abra learns more about her abilities. She's able to kind of manipulate and change the way that her mind looks. Yeah. Um, so it goes, it all comes to a culmination when uh, they're in the final act of the scene and she's tricked into entering Danny's mind. Yeah. And Danny's mind is the hedge maze, the hedge maze of the labyrinth at the end. And I thought that's a really good way of revisiting that place and kind of entering those elements of kind of uh, making the mind more a complex place and a way to trap these people with all these abilities, but also have fan service that's there for a reason um, Mm. to kind of, yeah, just serve the plot and the story a bit more than just here's the hedge maze. We've we've arrived at the Overlook Hotel. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, So what what I wanted to... I'm glad you brought this up because this is in the Stephen King uh, universe, as it were. These are what are known as mind palaces. Right. And I feel like this film, if you don't really know a lot about Stephen King, you're not going to get 50% of the references that are going on in this film. Um, because that is all callbacks. I mean, it's it's canon throughout most of his books anyway, but that's specifically a callback to Dreamcatcher mm-hmm. where um, they get taught. Uh, it's a group of friends who all have very low shining and then they have they meet this one friend who's really high shining and he like brings them all up to his level and he teaches them how to create a mind palace, which is what he calls it, um, where they can lock away all their memories and then if someone wants to get in there, because mm-hmm. um, there's like these aliens that are trying to get memories in there, um, if someone wants to get in there, it teaches you how to like lock away certain parts and things, and that's that's what that is. Um, there's also things in there. There's a lot of callbacks in there to like uh, in the tall grass and things like this. And I feel like, um, and and it as well when they're saying you know fear makes the uh, the kids the shining kids steam better. You know that's the whole reason that it preys on fear and feeds off of fear as mm-hmm. well. There's a lot of things in here that um, I feel like if this was, okay, just imagine that I had never seen a Stephen King film. I'd never read a Stephen King book. And I came into this film going like, oh, this was like a cool film with Ewan McGregor in it. And I watched it. I feel like I'd watch this and go, what the fuck is going on here? Do you know what I mean? I, I feel like it kind of takes a bit of a risk with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like, I okay, I preface this with, I don't want it to be called The Shining 2. Yeah. But if it was called something like that, at least people would know, oh, okay, this is, a sequel or a carrying on so mm-hmm. maybe i should like have a look at some other stuff first i i don't think they did it like i don't think they actively hid anything that this was a sequel to the, sh- the no, no of course the they didn't of course materials they didn't. of this film no not at all. i totally get what you're saying yeah um i would say that i haven't read a stephen king book yet gonna get into it very soon been on my list for a while sorry listeners <laughs> but um i yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I, I have been planning to, but I. I still got those references fine, mainly because yeah. of my understanding of like things that that has influenced, like yeah. Sherlock, for example. In the BBC series, they describe his mind as a mind palace and able oh. to file away and look through stuff. It's quite a, like it's a, it's quite a common thing, and I feel like it's used in other mediums as well. Because yeah, it it's is been like I mean, it's it's essentially thing. It's essentially like, a mind map, which yeah. is a real life thing that you can do with your mind. And is a and it's 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 quite as a filmmaking technique for displaying something that is in someone's mind. It's quite oh, it's so visually good, isn't it's it? It's so visually good, <laughs> and it's also it's also been because of those books and uh, and the TV shows. It's been quite an influential way of showing 
di- visually displaying what's going on in someone's brain. Yeah. It's quite a cinematic way of doing it. So I don't think that that would be confusing for people that haven't, uh, possibly people that haven't seen The Shining shouldn't like, should, you can still enjoy this film on its own, I think, but you'll get more out of it if you've obviously like seen, seen yeah, The Shining. Yeah, definitely. But there's not many people out there like me who haven't seen it. So I don't, yeah, I don't think there's much of a risk of people not knowing what The Shining is at yeah. this point. Um, but yeah, it was just little things like that where I was like, oh, I know what that is, but maybe I know what that is because I'm a bit more of a dork than most people. Mm. <laughs> so I don't know. Nah, uh, maybe like if, if someone like just didn't know squat about Stephen King and watched I it, they'd be like, what is this? I didn't know there was a whole book about it, which I think is really yeah. good. I'm very excited to check that out. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I really enjoyed the visual representations of that and like the labyrinth yeah, bit at the end, the cathedral bit when they're talking about Rose's mind, mm. just, it's fascinating for me to see those visual elements kind of represented and all the shining abilities. Um, you talked a little bit about how you felt like it was a bit X-Men-y at times. Yeah. With the, the true knot, the gang, the, yeah. the, the vampire soul people, um, there was just some bits. It was, it was minor stuff. It was it was minor stuff, but it was just it kind of verged on that X Men kind of thing where they're like, you know, especially okay when they're recruiting that girl who's known as a pusher. Yeah. She can basically influence people's. She basically can do the Jedi mind trick. Mm-hmm. That's basically what she can do. Um, and they're kind of watching her in a movie theater, and they've tracked her down because uh, Rose can sort of sense people with high shining abilities nearby, so she's got a bit of a radar for it. They track her down. They see that she um, uses her shining on this uh, man who's basically a pervert mm-hmm. and, you know, he deserved it. Uh, but she just like steals his money and, and then like marks him, you know, does some sort of moral gray area good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they recruit her. Um, that all just that kind of thing just seemed a bit X-Men. You know what I mean? It's like we're finding people with abilities and getting them to join our little Xavier school. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I mean, it's it's the it's the heist thing of just getting the gang together or yeah, getting yeah, the team yeah. together. But I really enjoyed it, and I particularly enjoyed it because they could. There's a version of it where they could have gone through a lot of uh, time explaining or kind of showing us what each member of the family can do. That would have been very X-Men if they did that. They didn't. Yeah. They just showed that there's this one person that can do this one thing that they need. So instead of killing her, they decide to recruit her as a way for us to show that they're not all just kind of chaotic murderers. They also are smart and thinking that they can kind of recruit this person if they need to as well and turn them. And seeing how that happens Mm -hmm. is a very interesting thing as well, I think. Um, But I would... I w- yeah, I think that the fact that they spent more time on understanding their connections and dynamic as a family. Yeah, rather than their powers. Rather than their powers and stuff. For sure. I mean, also, there's a, like, that, that is quite X-Men in any, anyway, and just yeah, because it's kind of like people with abilities and stuff. It's funny yeah, no, that you- that's, that's a problem with the book, not the film. Yeah. That's, you know, I'm just saying it, it gets a bit in that territory sometimes. The vibes I got Which is of- weird because that's not a horror thing. Yeah. It's just not a horror thing. To do. I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I kind of loved it. Um, I would have liked more on that girl who was the pusher as well. Yeah. Um, because it's kind of because she's obviously doing when you see her uh, do this trick on on this on this bloke in the cinema. It's yeah. because like they they met on like a kind of like an, an app, like mm-hmm. a CD app. And she's like underage and he's like an old man who's mm-hmm. into underage girls. And then she like puts him to sleep, steals his wallet, marks his face. so Everyone knows he's a pervert. And like, that's cool. 
But it would have been nice to kind of see not a lot, but just like a little bit of her reasons for doing this. Um, just because then later on, um, when her her death comes, it would have been a bit more meaningful of yeah. a death. Yeah. You know, because it's kind of a big deal because she uh, she dies and before she dies, manages to uh, Jedi mind trick Billy into shooting himself in the head. So that's a big moment for the film. It would have been nice to feel some weight on both sides of that of those teams you know the only exposition we get turns of with her is learning that she's done this six times already yeah with other people yeah and a conversation that she has with rose in the recruitment aspect but i kind of saw her character as a way to explore another side to rose rather Mm -hmm. than kind of her defined as as her own okay as her own thing so through that seeing it through that lens i think it's really cool because you can kind of see how this person is able to, how this main antagonist is able to change their demeanor to kind of suck people in as well as destroy yeah. what she is. And I, that's the kind of lens I was seeing it through and why I felt like it, um, sure, they could have they they could have fleshed that out a bit more, but in a film that's already two and a half hours long, I felt like dedica- dedicating that time more towards the main antagonist and the relationship between Danny and Abra was... Um, was more meaningful in that but yeah of course my, i mean I, I wouldn't i wouldn't want it any longer but i think there's some parts you could cut to have something like that in there fair play that would just put a bit an, an extra layer of depth which would have been nice in the film yeah that's all i'm saying um with the x-men thing it's funny yeah, you mentioned yeah. that i wanted to talk about the vibes that i got from it because i got some heavy twilight vibes and i don't uh, want i'm not familiar with it i don't want to say that is like a negative thing because like a lot of people who hear Twilight are like, oh my God, terrible. Yeah. But uh, okay. So the fact that these people are kind of like vampires, it's like the, the own eyes thing, but also the way that the whole um, kind of steam thing works mm. and the way that they feed off of the essences of people. And it's kind of seen as a, a hunger for, for, for something is very, kind of twilighty it's also very cheech and chong because <laughs> they kind of do bong hits off yeah of people. they just kind of like <laughs> they just kind of scramble for it and stuff but it's it i don't think that that's a bad thing you know i wouldn't i wouldn't describe it as like a, a bad not the cheech and chong thing because i don't i haven't seen that i was just but. making a joke oh. <laughs> it's just like they're inhaling weed at some point <laughs> it's you know? like yeah oh sweet um yeah so i i i haven't seen, so I haven't seen that but i would say that that's it's just um it's very influenced because it's kind of like the way that they, yeah, the way that they inhale the steam and stuff is very kind of influential of that kind of, it's like kind of orgy-ish, but like, but like not yeah, yeah, the yeah. stranger kind of pleasure from the pain that they're inflicting on other and stuff. There is like a weird sort of ancestral dynamic throughout this gang yeah. as well, um, which plays into that too, which is also quite reminiscent of vampires as well. Yeah. One thing um, I really like um, the gang actually, but the one, the one it's a very minor thing again, but right. the little CGI flashing eyes. Come on. Oh, I loved it. No, you didn't. Yeah, I did. No. Yeah, yeah, I was a it's fan. So silly. Oh, I like it because it's not there the whole time. If it was there the whole time, I'd find it annoying. No, once is too much for that. Oh, really? That. Yeah. Oh, mate. It's like their eyes flash up with like a bright light. <sighs> yeah. Just seemed very cheesy to me. Um. Yeah, I get like I can see that, but is that not? I'm not, I mean, I'm not the book, but it's nitpicking. Is it what I'm doing, be, it but it, I found it very cheesy. I think that's a book thing, though. The the book, like the, the the eyes light up, right? Okay, but if that's a book thing, you don't have to do it because you've already changed the whole ending of this book by having the the hotel still in one piece. So it's not like he hasn't changed anything from the book. 
It's the the hotel the hotel's blown up at the end of the shining. At right? the end of the shining, the hotel is burnt down to the yeah. ground. And the whole final act of Doctor Sleep happens in a field. Yeah. Because there is no Overlook Hotel. Yeah. Um and uh also Danny lives at the end as well. So that's, that's you, what you've changed so much of the book already. Take the fucking eyes out. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like you can I, be more stylistically creative with that. That's uh, fair, fair on the nose. But I, 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 I felt like it was. I felt like it was. It was fun, and I liked. I liked looking at it. <laughs> not mainly because I like looking at Rebecca Ferguson, and the fact she's got glinty eyes is not going to be a problem. That helps for you. It helps. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no. I, I was going to say that I felt like the burning down of the, uh, the burning down of the hotel and leaving the boiler on. Um, yeah, I like that. That's cool. I really like the fact that that was a tie-in, kind of a bridge between the, yeah, yeah. No, the that two was books nice. and stuff. I and felt it, like that was really good. And it gave him not just motivation, but a a kind of mandatory reason to sacrifice himself, which yeah. I like. Because a lot of times in films, when they kind of do like the martyr ending, you, you kind of watch it and then you go, he could have done that without killing himself. Yeah, You know what I mean? But this one is it's good. It's yeah. good. I, I like it. It's a good ending. They did a, did a good job. Seal of approval. <laughs> um, okay. So I think I know the answer to this, but I'm mm. going to ask. Throughout our conversation, throughout our discussion on this, has your thoughts changed in terms of the score that you want to give it or anything like that? Have mm. you kind of revised your thinking or solidified your opinions on what you think about this film? I'm not sure, but I know you're trying to wrap this up, but we've missed out one glaring thing that we have to talk about. What's the one glaring thing we have to talk the, about? The reshoots of the original Shining films. Um, we got yeah. we got to talk about yeah that. sure people Go ahead. want us to talk about yeah, that. yeah yeah okay so throughout the film there's parts where they've basically reshot um iconic scenes of The Shining although the elevator scene was that I think that was just the original the some of them it looked like the original the elevator one some of the, so what they did is that from from my eye from what I can see some of them is repurposed and retreated footage yeah. to kind of uh, fit with the films and like they did in Split earlier on this year mm. where they kind of showed a missing scene from Unbreakable yeah. and retreated the film for like tw- for like tw- uh, for like 2019 to make it look yeah so the, the elevator scenes like that I pretty yeah I thought that was the same pretty one. sure that some of the uh, original kind of uh, the bathroom or the uh, kind of riding the trolley and stuff is uh is uh like that but there's also reshots yeah see reshoots i would have liked it if they just used the original film and and you know re uh what do you call that like uh like, like remastered I, I, I just say shots? yeah like re, you could say remastered or retreated or whatever yeah. yeah i i think if they did all of that um i mean at least for the shots that are literally a shot a shot by shot of the original scene mm-hmm. like the part with wendy torrance in the bathroom screaming as the axe comes through the door that that is that is uh no, it's not it's got the it's got the the new actress the... in it yeah. really yeah it was so quick i thought it was actually uh, Sh- oh, uh, straight away it took me out really it took me out of it completely oh, mate i didn't see I was that like why not just remaster that sh- like if you're going to use the exact same shot don't yeah. reshoot it just just remaster the the original film i right? love that they used her scream as a jump scare <laughs> I love it. Oh, there's yeah, not there's, that many jump scares in this. There's not many jump scares, but they tend to be the parts of the film where they're trying to be spooky. 
And yeah, I'm just, I'm not a big fan of jump scares myself, especially when the jump scares are like a fluorescent light yeah, no, and shit like that. Me it's neither. Like, oh. Neither. I, I, yeah, I kind of wrote that off and didn't even think about that. Too yeah. That yeah. Um, but the one thing I really like, just the editing of that shot and it kind of used her reaction as the one bit, I, the glaring bit I really want to talk about with this is that this whole bit is framed in a sense where Danny's preparing for Rose to arrive at the end of the place and he's yeah. walking through the rooms of he's the re- shining. revisiting all this horrible shit. Basically. And at the same time, reliving the trauma. Yeah. So the jump scare is him reliving that moment again. And it's just a flash of the most terrifying time in his life. Yeah. And I fucking love that they did it like that. As like fan service, including the door and him looking through it and stuff. I couldn't think of a better way to include that than mm-hmm. him going through this place, deciding he's going to do something and reliving that trauma all over. Yeah, yeah. I think that's amazing. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I really, really enjoyed that. The, it's the reshoots and stuff. I, I can see that, you know, we disagree on the, we disagree on the Jack Torrance thing. Yeah. And the, and some of the other recasting and stuff, but I really feel like the extra scenes that they did as well really added something to it. One, uh, one the- that I really liked, um, is sort of right after a, a reshoot of Danny cycling through the hotel. Yeah. And it's that zoom in when, uh, door two, three, seven opens a bit and it's completely black. And then it slowly, slowly zooms in. And just before the scene cuts off, you see, that like horrible old lady yeah like just you just see like her just emerging into the light kind of like how alien does it where it's like mostly cloaked in shadow yeah you just see her emerge and then it cuts and it's like i don't know danny wakes up or some shit right yeah and that i love that shot that That shot looked really really good good. but again you could have just used the original shots refinished it and then done that shot at the end Mm. i mean i I think it's a bit unnecessary uh i would argue for specifically that scene Mm. you could you wouldn't be able to the trouble with retreating remastering footage is that if you cut in the same scene between the remastered shot and like a reverse of a a reshoot or something it will just be it will be it will be too glaringly obvious that there's a distinction between the two that will take you out of the film like that's fair enough um that's probably why they did it yeah um yeah no totally that's i mean if that's the reason why then fair enough yeah you know so it's um, it's it's just too obvious if it's in the same scene and if it's for certain things then i i get what you're saying but for like reaction shots and stuff like it's it would it wouldn't work yeah just because cameras and stuff and uh and technology today like you can't there's physically very difficult to match up the way those things look yeah to like 70 millimeter film um or last little nitpicky thing before we wrap up yeah 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 there's okay so throughout the film uh abra and danny are communicating through uh, a blackboard um on his wall mm-hmm. uh before they meet each other that is they just kind of they're basically pen pals psychic pen pals um when she has the vision of this kid getting killed by the true not and then it like she just has a real visceral reaction and oh then i'm it so just, glad like, you brought this up it cracks red rum onto his door yeah what did you think about that murder um so i wanted to talk to you about this yeah because we see the reflection red rum when he looks back at the mirror and it says red rum and then we're just like what's what was that and he looks back and it's murder Mm -hmm. so initially i thought because it's kind of implied that during this time they've kind of uh grown their pen pal uh relationship relationship with each other kind of a bit more yeah and just kind of been talking i felt like 
the reason they use that word could have been like a um uh, like a, a emergency word like something's gone wrong if it was red rum or something like if you're yeah. ever in trouble we've got a psychic link just That's say this but then looking back at it and it's murder yeah spelled like that like she's just saying what she saw yeah so it's not it's not if it was red room then that would be my that would be my kind of thing to that it was like oh that makes sense why that's there yeah if yeah no like what you're saying would totally work if it was yeah. just red rum and that was like their code word yeah i'll be on board for that but that bit i feel like that was the worst bit of fan service for me Interesting. just just because so what, like Danny in the original Shining is like what, like seven or something? Yeah, she's like she's like ten. She's old she's... enough to spell murder without one of the R's being backwards. Yeah, one of the R's so shouldn't be it backwards. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. No, me. it doesn't make sense. If it was a code word, that'd be brilliant. I wish they did that. I've, that'd be uh, really that's good. Originally, what I thought it was until he looks away from the mirror. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Uh, that's I, I that's why I thought that was great because I was I was what I was originally thought that'd it cool. was. Is as I thought because they'd kind of formed this cycle like, that there was at some point off screen a point where they had a conversation was like if you're ever in trouble just tell like just say this yeah yeah this that, is our that'd code be great word. that'd be really good but yeah it's yeah took me out that's yeah. one of the bits that took me out because it's just like why is that R backwards she's thirteen yeah she, she and and she's a smart thirteen she's, she's like extremely smart. she's a really clever girl she's really fearless um she takes on responsibility like a fucking champ yeah she can spell murder properly <laughs> she can totally like, spell it's, murder. it's just like no she no, probably no, no. won a few spelling bees yeah like, yeah as a, for as, sure as a younger child there's no way she spelled murder with just one r being she backwards. knew the word abracadabra at like her like third or fifth birthday party <laughs> yeah, it's like she yeah. can spell murder yeah yeah so that that for me was like that's a good example of the fan service going a bit wrong in this film yeah fair enough like that's the one bit i can't explain away yeah, the yeah. rest of it i can <laughs> do but i'm not gonna try with that one yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah mate with that any, like your, your thoughts your feelings you're still gonna stick with the rating that you gave it or are you gonna change anything are you I not think, gonna bring I it up it stays although it's i, I realize it's a middling score but i would urge people to see it at the cinema just it's because... not even a cheeky treat with a little bit of spice for you no. not a I, I i don't feel like i ever need to watch this again really yeah wow I, okay cool i really don't um i really enjoyed it um in not okay so here's the thing with me is i'm more of a story guy than a visual guy anyway yeah um the visuals in this film are great so go and see at the cinema yeah the story was just a little lacking for me yeah i uh this this story doesn't focus a lot on although there is a plot uh the this as similar to the shining which is a very simple plot yeah. this story focuses whereas the shining focuses more on ambiguity and so much of the way that kubrick directs that is about kind of people looking into certain things and it's so meticulously done so people can kind of interpret and take different meanings yeah. out of it yeah. this is much more done in a different style to kind of focus in on kind of understanding the characters and focusing on the characters decisions as they move through this story and I felt like that empathy towards the writing that Mike Flanagan did um, really resonated with me. Okay. Uh, more than The Shining. I, fe- I sometimes feel when I watch Kubrick films, I love the way that he makes stuff visually and all of that. But I find his filmmaking a bit cold 
Like, yeah, it can be. It can be kind of like just watching a psychopath make a film. It, literally, <laughs> and like there are definitely there are definitely forms in The Shining for good for good reason and stuff that it is kind of quite traumatizing and psychopathic and stuff. But the empathy that's given to the Danny character and uh, to his relationship with Abra and stuff really just got me on board. Sure. And I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna say that it's better than the the classic original. I only saw the original last week for the first time. Yeah, they're time. both new to you. Yeah, which so is they're kind both... of a cool perspective to have to be talking yeah, about. This. I'm really, I'm really, I'm really enjoying kind of just kind of matching these two up and just seeing what one does to inform the other. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited to kind of dive into the books as well, like later on as well. Yeah. So I think that's gonna be that's gonna be very fun. But yeah, for me, I just I can't recommend this film enough. And I was shocked to see that when we go, went to go to see it at the cinema, like how empty our screen was. It was very empty, wasn't it? There was hardly anyone there. We weren't at a matinee or anything. We no. were at like a, a evening, evening viewing. Sunday showing. And like. I was surprised how empty it was. There was like, I could only see like maybe three groups of people ahead of us. I, re- I really, really strongly recommend that people go out and check this film out in the cinema. Just if only just to further Mike Flanagan's career, because yeah. the man deserves to make more movies. He's nope. so yeah. good. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like the, I, I'm not a fan of the film, but the shots that he does experienced on a big screen are great. It's kind of like some of the shots he does, like the thing of like Rose going over the world, that opening shot I talked about, like the, the- bird's eye view thing. It's kind of like, you know, those uh old, old school, like, uh, vr things where you're like they you're on like a roller coaster yeah and it like the little shuttle things like moving yeah. as the thing it makes you feel like that totally you're the like inception in bit where the room turns yeah when yeah, he's yeah. being shown something There's by so abra great shots. and he's just thrust into the chalkboard that is yeah. kind of wall chalkboard at the end if you see this on your tv it's not going to do the same oh thing man you. you guys just just check it out the cinema please so definitely see it at cinema yeah. Uh, although we have varying views on this film, we both say see it at the cinema. Yeah. So we can agree on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with that, uh, that's going to wrap it up for the, uh, today's episode. Uh, if you agree or disagree with one of our takes, <laughs> please contact us, get in touch, uh, get in touch with Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Movie Brew. We've got a website up, themoviebrew.com. Uh, if you want to send us some longer stuff, some suggestions, or uh, just any sort of feedback in general, you can send us an email, hello at themoviebrew.com. Um, uh, thank you to our music uh, for Jake Brett, aka Tamarin, and to uh, uh, Forest Fire Creations for our artwork as well. Uh, we're not sure what we're going to be doing next week. No, we haven't decided yet. Uh, but well, this is a great time for you guys to just share us your thoughts and your feelings. Yeah. Also, I want to hear your takes on the original Shining film. So if you've listened to that episode and you've got some thoughts and stuff that you want to ta- want to take in, I talked a little bit about that. My theory of sexual abuse and uh, the history repeating itself type thing. I'm very much a subscriber to that theory. Uh, so I'd really like to hear all of your takes, including moon landings. Um, <laughs> well up for that. Which moon? Yeah. <laughs> <That's the thing. laughs> one of the seven. <laughs> um, yeah. So let's know about that. But um, yeah, other than that, we'll catch you on the next episode of The Movie Brew. <laughs>